um, September of 2020, I sent a text to Senator Broxson. Uh, it was mid-September, and I asked him if he had made it through the storm okay. Raise your hand if you're one of Senator Broxson's grandkids. And I asked your grandfather, I said, did you guys make it through the storm okay? And he said, I lost a pier, I lost four cars, and a whole bunch of stuff, but none of it matters because my family is safe. These little things that we have, these going aways, they're kind of like eulogies. (laughs) And I don't get any appropriations anyway, so I can speak very candidly. (laughs) This Jason Pizzo is one of my favorite Democrats in the Senate in Tallahassee, and uh, Talking about outgoing, termed out Senator Doug Broxson, right? And I just want to tell you, I listened to not all of this yesterday. I was listening more for Doug's speech, which I'll give you some of that in a second. But the appreciation and praise for Senator Broxson in the Senate was um, heartfelt and overwhelming from all corners for him as a person of integrity and honesty and sincerity and principle. And I mean, it was, and as the joke there is like, you know um, you know, I'm not, I'm not here for it because he's in chair of appropriations. He's like, I don't need any money. So you, I can say what I want to. Dad only made it to this place once before he passed his dad. And he looked at you that day and he goes, that guy's from central casting. <laughs> and you see it when we watch the video, if you draw yourself a picture or an idea or an identity and I look around and I think about it, I see Geraldine Thompson just looking like a stateswoman, and I see you. And if I had to cast somebody in a movie who had the, the, conveying, the ability to convey integrity and principle, maybe we don't agree, and philosophy and ideology, but based and premised on information and just being a good person, you're it. My dad was right. You are from Central Casting for the Florida Senate. Um, you're a gentleman. And- I love this story that he told about Senator Broxton that I'm sure Senator Broxton didn't know about or, or didn't know that it would have gotten back to him. And you don't know this, but you were back in your district at an informal social gathering and within an earshot of an FSU political science professor. And he was asking you about your many years of service and the people that you've seen and the things that you've experienced and the, and the struggles and sacrifices and all that stuff. And he said... Um, Wow, you've had an amazing career. Who did you emulate after? Who did you, you know, who was your mentor? Who are you menteeing? And you said, if you want a lesson in preparation and argument, you should watch Senator Pizzo. You didn't have to say that. And that was not the company or the geography that that would be popular to say. To praise a Democrat here at home, right? But well-deserved, Jason Pizzo is prepared and thoughtful and articulate and feisty and a very, very good senator, regardless of agreement, regardless of, you know, what views or politics you care about. So he, again, the praise from all corners yesterday, and this is the last clip from uh, Senator Pizzo before I get to the the clips from uh, Senator Broxson, but um, I would love to be able to live my life in such a way that the people who disagree with me almost across the board on the things I believe in, nevertheless would talk about me this way, especially to my kids. I mean, this is quite an accomplishment for Senator Broxson on a career in government. So I find myself more and more wanting to say this to a few of you. It's to look at your family. Your grandfather has led an incredible life of service. Incredible. But he's already done it. So, so long as this recording is saved for posterity's sake, 
you should know that your grandfather was incredibly cool, incredibly important, and an absolute gentleman. And if any one of you, it's not even fair, any one of you are able to achieve and to maintain his integrity and character, you will have been an incredible success to your family and make him very proud. Thank you, sir. All right, so that was, and that's just a, a taste. I mean, all the senators were saying basically the same kind of thing, that they love him, they'll miss him, he's a gentleman, he's honorable, even when they disagree and all of that, he's fair. Um, so then, of course, Senator Broxson gets up, and he talked for quite some time. I'm not going to play you all of it. I might share a little bit more of this tomorrow, but it was very touching, and it started off as appropriate with a little bit of comedy. It's amazing what people will say before the appropriations comes out. <laughs> And by the way, I've noted the ones that said nothing. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and make an announcement. The number one question when you're terming out, and I'll guarantee you everyone here will say the same thing. What are you going to do when you leave? Well, I've decided that in 2032, I'll be 83 years old, and I'm going to run for the president of the United States. (laughs) So things you might not have known uh, about Senator Broxson is that he doesn't talk a lot in public unless you make him do it. You say, well, why is that? I'll tell you why in just a second. To uh, Senator Doug Broxson during his send-off farewell kind of speech-making yesterday, talking about why he doesn't like to speak much in public. Someone asked me one time why I don't speak more on the floor, and I'm going to be very transparent with you. It's funny, but it's true, that until age 11, I was severely tongue-tied. I was so much tongue-tied that my teachers misinterpreted it for being a special needs person. Maybe they didn't misinterpret it, but uh, (laughs) I had not only a speech impediment, but I had at least two of the four Ds. you may not know what they are, but if you, if they're dyslexia, dysgraphia, uh, dyscalculia, which is math, and one more I can't remember. <laughs> they call that being Joe Biden. Um, no, but ta- but I appreciate that kind of on and the tr- the struggles and difficulties. Plus, you got to think, you know, decades ago, how any kind of learning disabilities were all classified as you've got serious mental issues, right? They didn't know the difference, didn't know how to handle it, didn't recognize that you could be a really sharp person with a particular impediment, right? They didn't make those distinctions back in the day, so what'd they do with them? In fact, when I was in the fifth grade, my mother did not know that I was in a special class, and we had a little skit that the school put on, and she, I invited her, and she came and saw people that really did not look like me or act like me, and she was totally outraged. And she ran to the stage. She grabbed me and took me home and said, never get up there again. That was my mother. You'd have to know her. She had me when she was 46, and uh, I was the last of 11 children. And she was an incredible woman, but she was very protective of her children. And the reason I don't speak is I'm afraid I'm going to have a relapse and go into my tongue-tied condition at some point, which hasn't happened yet, and hopefully it doesn't happen today. Now, here's what's fascinating to me is he's giving us this 
preparatory remarks about why he doesn't like to speak in public. And then he goes on to tell these just amazing stories, uh, not stories that are related to being in politics, but stories that just kind of, you know, help you understand who he is, where he came from. And I'm just going to play one day. It's a little bit long. It's almost three minutes long. But it's, trust me, this is worth it. This is... <laughs> I had not heard this story. And uh, now you will. Always had a great pitching arm, but I was not allowed to pitch. I could throw in the mid-90s, but my high school coach was fearful that I would hurt someone because I absolutely had no control. My third year in college, thank you, Chair Leak and Alex Andre for being here. God bless you, Thad. Thank you, sir. Uh, Sheriff Johnson is here and D.C. Reeves from Pensacola. He's a mayor. But my junior year in, in college, I was out throwing in the gym. It was in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, I was throwing some pitches to the catcher. Of course, I was no place. They were there all over the place, throw up around the goal or through the backstop or whatever. But someone set a mannequin up like a batter. And I found that if I threw at that mannequin and threw a little bit to the, to the left, I could throw a strike. I couldn't throw the catcher, but because I had this condition, I would throw at the batter, move over, and I'd throw a strike. And I could throw strike after strike, left-handed, right-handed, didn't matter. We were playing a, a team in, in North Missouri I was having a phenomenal game, except they had just let the football team come, the best players, and be on the baseball team. And they had about a six foot five, 240 pound giant of a man that wanted to look at some pitches. What he didn't know, he didn't know my system. <laughs> so, what he did is if you've played baseball, there are people that lean over the plate. The first time up, he leaned over the plate. I hit him in the back of the head. <laughs> Still pitching great for the whole game. Second time up, hit him in the back of the head again. He kind of waved his bat at me. Why I was allowed to stay in the game? Only because I was throwing strikes to everyone else. The third time up, I hit him in the back of the head again. <laughs> he ran me out in the outfield with his bat. For whatever reason, the umpire let me stay in the game. He was on first base. He got off too far. I made a pickoff move. I hit him in the back of the head again. <laughs> I, 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 frankly, I've I'm, I'm been graduated for a long time, but I do not know why I'm not in the Hall of Fame. Because <laughs> no one will ever do that again. But they escorted me. The police came, and there was kind of a riot on the field. And... <laughs> Oh, yeah, by the way. They put me in a bus, and I sat there for three hours because that was the first game of a doubleheader. That actually <laughs> happened. I mean, I don't know. It's just such a great example of, you know, when somebody is kind of, you know, given the opportunity to transcend the impediment that you think is going to define their whole life. I don't know. It's just is neat. And I'll probably share some more of this tomorrow because it's pretty touching. I mean, obviously, he cried talking about his wife and his mother-in-law and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And the story about how he got started in politics and what made him decide to run is actually very, very fascinating. But 
we don't have time for that today. But, you know, tomorrow. I'll share a little bit of this with you tomorrow because, uh, you know, again, term limited out. Uh, and he's still got to be there for another week and a half, you know, while they finish up session. But this is kind of how they do things while they're still in session. Uh, they go through these kind of send-off farewell. Uh, as I like Pizzo said, it's kind of like eulogies, right? Sometimes self-eulogies in a way. Damn, you think that you're the man. I think when I was in the house, I really, I was an older member. I really didn't understand the process, but I'd made a pledge that I would not uh, make a commitment to a house, a speakership until I had seen them perform uh, over for a year. And uh, that was very, that was very difficult what happened because you don't do that, especially if you have powerful people in your district. Yeah, Senator Doug Broxson during his send-off talking about how, you know, he did something that I think actually makes more sense, which is wait and see how people perform. I, this whole process of picking your speaker when you first start in because leadership tells you to do it is weird. Um, but, you know, that is the system that they use. He bucked it and he paid the price not being on committees for a long, long time. Um, and then he proceeded to tell some really, really great stories. I mean, just they don't have anything to do with being a legislator, but they were great stories. OK, this one about his encounter with a snake. If you don't. I, I, this has nothing to do with anything, but someone asked me to tell my snake story. Would you like to hear my snake story? <laughs> His stories are great. I had been invited to play in a shotgun tournament in South Florida. And I was a fairly good golfer. I mean, I wasn't great. I had a 6'8 handicap. Anyone who's played that, I'd have to sign an affidavit to, to prove that fact because they've seen me play lately. But we were playing, and I had... There's four of us. We came to a par three. Uh, I hit my shot. We went to go. I was first on the cart. And across, it was a narrow place between two bodies of water. There was a python that was laying across the uh, path. And my brother raised snakes, loved snakes, lived in the house. So I decided, which I did not like snakes, that I would take my rake and I would go and get that snake and sweep it off into the water. So I went up to it, had my shorts on, and I put that rake on top of the snake's head, and instantly it became activated. (laughs) It wrapped around my leg, and I could not get it off my leg, and he was... If you, if you ever try to put a rake on top of a snake and they use leverage to get off of it, that head is coming off. So I had to go down and grab that snake by the head and work it off my leg. And as I did, it came up my shoulder and around uh, close to my neck. I was terrified. I, I admit it. I finally got him off, threw him in the water, instantly came back up. I got in my cart and left. The, the problem that I did not know what happened is that they had a big banquet and uh, phenomenal food and I go and I'm standing there and this guy says did you hear about that idiot (laughs) over on number 10 that got tangled up with a python and unfortunately that was me and I got in my car and left. And, you know, again, I know it doesn't have anything to do with being a senator particularly, but the fact that they were all it was such a it was such a light and loving mood, like watching these people 
enjoy him and having been with him through all these years and praising him, my God, the praise for him from all quarters was amazing. A uh, man of integrity and decency and honor and, you know, just all of that. Uh, and But also the fact that he had admitted, and we talked about this yesterday, he had admitted that he was tongue-tied as a kid and he got put in basically special ed because they thought that he was stupid and um, his mom came and rescued him from that and he still to this day doesn't like to speak in public because he's afraid it's going to kind of come back on him. Um, but, you know, again, being begged by people to tell these stories, including the time he met Muhammad Ali. That same year, and I remember the date, uh, December the 9th, 2000, 2000, no, 1970, I was studying for my finals, and I went to an all-night truck stop on I-44, and I'm sitting there, and a gentleman came in there with his wife, and it was Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali spent an hour with me, the nicest gentleman I've ever met. Had one of his gloves. And he held it up to show us that he had it. I did make a little bit of a mistake. You have to remember I went to a fundamental Christian church. I asked him to speak in chapel the next day. <laughs> I, I don't know if you get I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but he was not a Christian. <laughs> Exactly. But kind of a cool thing, right? I mean, to offer anyway. 615 here on News Radio 92.3. I have more. We'll play some more of this later because I just thought it was wonderful listening to some of the things that were said about him and that he said. His stories are great. I know I talked about this kind of at the same time yesterday, but uh, this just happens to be the time when I have a chance to talk about it again. And uh, I want I would I would be remiss if I didn't give uh, Senator Doug Broxson a little bit more love because I thought you know, I was not a Doug Broxson fan in the beginning. I just tell you, I and mean, he knows this. In fact, he's he's often noted it. Um, I was, you know, I wasn't a fan in the beginning, but the more I got to know him, the more I'm like, oh man, I was so wrong. Um, because you know, he has been a person of integrity, decency, honor, just man of his word. You know, patient, explained stuff. That doesn't mean I always agree with him. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of people I disagree with. That's not how I decide who's decent people or not. I decide who's decent on the basis of um, who will pay attention to reason and evidence, who will admit when they're wrong, uh, who will not be self-serving, and who will tell the truth. That Those are the kind of things I look for. Um, you know, if you do all that stuff and you happen to see the world a different way from me, oh, fine. I mean, I can work with you. Um, in fact, people who agree with me who don't do that stuff, it's the worst. <laughs> they drive me the worst because I'm like, I don't want you on my side. You make my side look bad. Get off my side. Go be on the other side. Make the other side look bad. You know? So anyway, um, but when he got up to, they do this whenever you are termed out in the House or in the Senate, you get to give a speech. And in this case, in the Senate, there's so few of them, only 40, that, uh, you know, and there's only, you know, I think maybe not that many that term out this year, one or two. Um, so it might be more than that. I apologize for not knowing. But they did a, like an hour of celebrating him on the floor and people talking about it. And the one thing that you'd have to kind of watch the meeting to get this gist, but they were all smiling. Like, it was the most relaxed I've ever seen a Senate floor session. They were just all so kind of, like, happy that they got to serve with him. You know what I mean? Like, there was something about the the tone of it that was, I can't, it's ineffable. Like, it's hard for me to explain it to you, but if you watch the video, it's really neat. And when he's telling his stories and stuff, they're just, everybody, 
regardless of viewpoint, regardless of party affiliation. Anyway, so he obviously did a little bit of, uh, you know, teary-eyed stuff when he's talking about his wife, of course. I asked Mary. I said... Can I... Yeah. 52 years. And she is... The best thing it's ever had. Yeah. <laughs> and not just her. I actually live with two women. It's uh, <laughs> a funny way to say it. Two angels. Married for 52 years, and her mother, who is 98, will be 98, has lived with us for 10 years, and they're both just incredibly never have a bad day, never talk about anybody, never do anything that uh, uh, you would be, well, you'd be disgusted by it, frankly. Hmm. I mean, to live around people that, that never make mistakes. <laughs> it's a little bit frustrating, sure. But this story, I thought this, I mean, I don't know, it, it, it affected me. He was talking about how he got into politics the first time ever. Now, you have to understand that his dad um, was a sheriff, if I remember correctly, I think, and died on duty um when he was very young and so that's like sort of context for everything else okay that's going to happen but he tells a story about you know like he didn't want to run for political office and he'd explained before that he got tongue-tied as a kid he got put in special ed by mistake as a kid his mom had to rescue him from that i mean just like you know he's got this horrible fear of uh looking dumb in front of people and sounding stupid and forgetting how to talk and i mean which very understandable you know, um, he obviously doesn't have any problem, but it's, you know, imagine living your whole life where you're kind of worried about that, right? Anyway, so this was his story about how he got into politics to begin with. But my dad was very important to all of his 11 children. And I said I'd never be in politics, but I got this impression that I wanted to run for the House, and I don't know where it came from. I think Pastor Evans says it's a mental disease to run for for office. I believe that. I think you can say that. But I said, I'm not going to do this unless I have a clear sign. Anybody ever gotten a sign that I have to do this? I said, I will do this. I'll go pre-qualify and uh, just, just look at it. I'll take a step and then we'll kind of see, right? And man, I have done this with so many things in my life. And, you know, there's truth, truth in advertising as a Christian. Sometimes God gives you a sign, sometimes he doesn't, sometimes he answers, sometimes he doesn't. I mean, it's, you know, it just, but you hope, right? Because it's a whole lot easier to make decisions when you get a little bit of help, right? I got a call from a community in North Escambia County, and they asked me to come. I don't know how they knew I was running, but they asked me to come and say a few words. When I got there, there was a line of men and I walked directly to the closest point, and, and I just had never shook anyone's hand as a politician, but I tapped this guy, he turned around, and uh, I said, I'm Doug Broxson. He said, I'm Trevor Lowry. First person I ever met as a politician. I said, Trevor Lowry? He said, yeah. He said, Doug Broxson? I said, yeah. I said, was your dad a deputy for my dad 60 years ago? He said, yeah. Was your dad Bart Broxson? Yeah. 
I could not believe it. His dad was a passenger in a patrol car the very time my dad was killed. He was the last guy to speak to my father as a politician, and his son was the first guy to speak to me as a politician. Instantly, I knew I had to do it. Man, I just, ugh. So he, uh, he closed out his remarks uh, this way. Corey Timboon, a Holocaust survivor, was a great author, and she wrote this. And I've been doing this over the last year. When, you, when you're terming out, you have to start. It's like turning 50. You know, you grieve at 49. That's <laughs> true. says, I have learned to hold all things lightly, so God will not have to pry them out of my hands. This is the process we go through to let things slip through our hands, to go on to a different part of our life, and to remember what great people you've served with. God bless you for your friendship. See, we just need people like that. Now, I know you disagree with him about some things, and I do too, but it's a whole lot easier to make politics function properly when we have people of character like that to disagree with rather than the other kind of character, even if they're people we do agree with. So I uh, I applaud Senator Brox. Of course, he's still got another week. And, well, I mean, you know, he's really got like, what, eight months, nine months in office still. But, uh, you know, one more week as the uh, Senate Appropriations Chair. And uh, I just, you know, sometimes in, in my job and in this business, we um, we focus a lot on the what's wrong, you know, and how hilarious the dysfunction is <clears throat> with some cities. Uh, <laughs> but I genuinely love to celebrate virtue and goodness and decency and good examples. And uh, so when I get the opportunity, uh, I will take that.